When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome in to the DNVR Avalanche podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. Use code DNVR when you sign up for a new account to get amazing odds boosts every single day. Rudo and Megan coming to you live as uh, it's an off day for the Avalanche. And I hope everyone did whatever they needed to do last night. (laughs) Took a breath. Come back today refreshed. We're going to look at the first half of the season in general for the Colorado Avalanche. And we're not going to recency bias it because they've played so terribly against them, Chicago in the last game and their poor play over most of January, to be honest. We're going to look at it as a whole, the whole thing, not just the bad. Uh, we'll be a little bit all over the place, but uh, let's start it off with the vibe check. Megan, first half of the season as a whole, where are you at with the Evs? More or less okay with it or a little bit under, a little bit overperforming? I would say they're underperforming at the moment. There are, as we'll probably get into, positives to derive from October, November. December is where things really seem to go off the rails. And so looking forward, we kind of pinned the all-star break as the moment where we would begin to really have concerns if things didn't start to get turned around. We're about halfway through January, so there's still a little bit of time left for us to see some changes and some responses to these last stretch of games that have really made me feel underwhelmed by their performance so far. But because some of the strength of the play in October and November, especially when they were injured, they were able to do some things well with the penalty kill and the power play early on that have given me reasonable expectation that when guys return to health, if they can mentally reset, like we talked about in the post-game pod, I've not completely written off this team, but I think it's fair to say anybody who's been watching this team is probably disappointed in its performance as of late. Yeah, I I would agree. I don't think there's any mistaking it. Uh, this team not being in a playoff spot is disappointing. Uh, context doesn't really matter. As far as certainly a vibe check goes, yes, the Avs have been injured. This is still a team that should be able to make the playoffs, and I still think they will, but they have not made their lives easier in the second half of the season with what they've done in the first half. So there's some work to do to be sure. Now, it's not all bad. It's not all good. There's there's a little bit of everything in here that we will get into. Uh, I want to start with maybe one of the most positive statistics in my findings. The Avs today, top five in possession metrics at five on five. When it comes to puck possession, not getting into the goal scoring yet, we'll get there, but puck possession alone, they've been very, very good. Is that something, one, that's sustainable for Colorado, and two, that they can actually translate into quality hockey again? Absolutely. It feels like a remnant of the identity of the Colorado Avalanche team that has brought them success. It has been really dominant in the offensive zone, heavy on the forecheck to regain possession where they otherwise didn't have it. And one reason it stands out as a positive to me, too, is this is an Avalanche lineup that still sits atop with that statistic you just presented in the absence of someone like Valerie Nichushkin, who is one of the best possession players that they ordinarily have and really helps that metric. And even in his absence, 
players like Arturi Lekin, and I'm sure have been a key part of that. Nathan McKinnon also good on that side of the puck. And then just looking at the Avs forward group, being able to stay competitive in this way has been not only necessary of them as of late because they absolutely need to stay out of their own end as much as possible and create chances. But going back to what I originally started with, it's a remnant of their identity that suggests they can get back to all of their identity that has brought them success before. It is interesting because there is certainly aspects of it, as you put it, getting back to their identity. There are certain things that the Avalanche just do as a quality hockey team when they're playing well that they do need to get back to. But at the same time, this year's team also needs to find its own identity to a certain extent in certain situations. They are not the same team as last year. Beyond the obvious of Evan Rodriguez and Nazem Kadri being different players, Burakovsky being out. Yes, obviously they have different personnel, but every year teams have their own feel, their own vibe, their own certain things that they do well or don't do well compared to previous years. So I do think it will be interesting, hopefully, how the Avs find those things and sort it out. Or, yeah, I mean, it's not impossible that they flounder through the second half of the year, but I wouldn't expect that. Uh, This was a positive place to start because I wanted to make sure we get some good statistics in there. And it's not that all these other statistics for Colorado are bad, but for the most part, the picture it paints is a pretty middle-of-the-road hockey team when you're talking about Colorado over the first half of that season. Now, Megan, as you already talked about, there's a pretty clear-cut definition line of when the Avs were pretty darn good and relatively healthy, and then the injured Avs and the not-as-good. <laughs> I, I guess I'm curious on your thoughts of where you feel the Avs actually are. Are the statistics an accurate representation of this hockey team right now? Or do you lean more towards the two extremes? I think, I do think they are an accurate representation of where they're at right now. And I think you can see where things look better for them in October and November, why that was. I imagine the Avs like a ship and they had some holes spring up in their ship at the start of the season with injuries, and they're trying to plug in these holes. And in the beginning, they were able to plug so many of these holes, and they were able to get by and have one of the most dominant power plays through October, November, which is something to remember at a time like now, where it is struggling to be effective in any capacity, that special teams are streaky in general. The penalty kill also started off bad. It started to trend in the right direction late October into November. Like, set aside special teams for a minute because I love Jared Bednar's call out that it is a mirror of the 5v5 play too because I think there's a lot of truth to that. These holes started to spring up in the ship to a point in December, I think, where there were just too many. They started sinking a little bit. They found it hard to plug up some of these holes. But the holes are the injuries and it's not to completely brush aside the important context of this season outside of injuries. But keeping that in mind, there are players who are going to be returning to the lineup that seeing some of the positives when they were able to patch up these holes in October, November, I believe it will still be possible. Again, targeting something like the All-Star break, I really think it's still a good timeline for this team because you see Byron back on the ice. You see Manson back on the ice. Nachushkin's status is a little concerning because it's completely in his hands. We don't really have a timeline, but seeing some of these key players on the horizon getting close to returning makes me feel like they can get back to the success of October, November, and it will only go up from there because they started off from a place of having injuries and missing pieces. They've just been trying to plug holes, and it became more desperate than ever in December because more injuries cropped up than ever. But I think it gets better from here. I'm keeping my fingers crossed that there are just no more injuries. Jesse doing a little bit of reporting out at practice right now. Uh, did mention all three of those guys out skating again today, but also the Avs had what looks like about a 20-minute meeting 
uh, in the locker room before practice today. So for those people calling for that, they got what they wanted, a little bit of a team meeting, uh, certainly with the players' side of things for the Avs today. Uh, also, no big surprise, but no Alex Newhook today, given uh, his nose is very likely broken. <laughs> so. Or McCarr, which I think I'm not jumping to any panicked conclusions because of how Betnar has been very forthcoming about giving players rest. And McCarr has said recently that the rest is very necessary right now, especially for him personally. I would just call that out before I jump to any panic conclusions. That is very likely just a maintenance day. McCarr has taken quite a few maintenance days this year. He's not been shy about doing that. Um, so not too surprising on that front. And I'm sure Jesse will get comments from Bednar and lots of things today from practice. So keep your eyes out on that. Make sure you're following Jesse on Twitter at Jesse underscore Montano. Follow us too. If you want, we have, uh, we have Twitter handles right here. You can see them. There's mine. Megan's is over there. Uh, if you're listening, it's at Meg Angley and at DNVR underscore Ruta. Yeah, we, we do Twitter things sometimes, occasionally. At least you and Jesse do a lot of re- cool reporting. So we got that going for us. Uh, we'll save the power play penalty kill for later. I do want to get into that uh, in a little bit. But for now, I want to look at this team and I want to get into the goal scoring on a couple of different sides here. Defensively, they really continue to not be that bad. They don't give up a ton of goals for the most part. They're doing an okay job on the whole. I know I know when you break it down and look at the number of high danger chances and things like that that they're giving up, it's not great. But is is their defense still the building block that they need to work out from as they try and put this team back together or do they need to approach it from a different angle? Like still a launching off point to build around or an area that they might need to retool. Uh, I, I would say from a systems perspective, more than, than building per se, how do they need to organize their team to get the most out of it? Out of the defense specifically? Yeah. It's a tough call out because some of the defensive breakdowns as of late happen from forwards not getting to their assignments on time and closing out guys in the neutral zone. And that is not to say that the decor has played to expectation either. But for that reason, it's why when I think of how these systems should execute, um, I think the defensive responsibilities have become so heightened for the decor that for players that can contribute offensively, usually we're not seeing it as much because I think their defensive responsibilities are so heightened that there's so much pressure being applied there through the course of the game that they're not able to lean into the offensive side of their game as much right now. And so for that reason, the way I'd like to see that executed just slightly differently is, and I think this is happening, I think this is messaging that's being given, is the responsibilities of the forwards to contribute defensively to in doing those things like getting back quicker on the back check and closing out guys early. Um, The defensive responsibilities of the forwards, I think, has left more to be desired than where the decor has fallen short defensively, though it is obvious where the weaker sides of the decor show up in the bottom pairing. It's, you know, it's a Brad Hunt, Andreas Eglin, Curtis McDermott special that is being severely sheltered and putting a lot of pressure on the second and top pair. For that reason, I would call out maybe the second pair as being one that I'd like to see step up in these times to alleviate some of the pressure from the top pair, because that's where I think the Avs would also begin to touch on the identity that has brought him the success when Taves and McCarr aren't having so much asked of them, they can lean back into the offensive contributions that they're known for. Because I'm seeing Devon Taves, someone who is a very smart hockey player, make mental lapses that I'm not accustomed to seeing. And I think it's because they're being run dogged right now. Uh, two sides to that there. 
fully agree. Anytime you're talking about defense, you have to understand there are more forwards on the ice than defensemen at five on five. Uh, there are a lot of responsibilities on the forwards. And I, the third goal against the Avs the other night, JT Confer is a perfect example of just doesn't stick with his man, nor does he listen to the direction of Kale McCarr on who to cover. And the entire play falls apart because of that. So keep in mind when you're talking about the Evs playing poor defense, it's not only on the actual defenseman. The other side of this, you're talking about the second pair needing to step up. And while I agree, is the solution there to find a different pairing that you run together consistently than Gerard and EJ? It's really easy to say that that pairing hasn't worked right now because it very obviously hasn't. But where do you find a solution? get one of Manson or Pyro back. I'm kidding, <laughs> but that is part it, of I it. Mean, that's true. It's 100% true. The second one of those guys are back, but until then, can you make it work? It's rough because I think Bednar has experimented with those pairings looking different, and I don't think there's been an answer that anyone's particularly comfortable with at the moment. Um, you just don't really see the best of Gerard if he is on a pair with EJ and EJ really is better served in a bottom pairing role himself. And it's not to fully demerit EJ either. It's just that is where you see him a bit more comfortable playing to that role instead. So I don't know. I don't know um, if breaking up the, the third pair and switching that up looks any differently because there's not a lot of trust that has been earned there either. Because truthfully, I'm thinking of someone like Andreas Englund or Jacob yeah. McDonald or Brad Hunt. I really don't think Curtis McDermott should ever play outside of the, the bottom pairing. I don't think he should even play there. He should be a forward if you're going to put him in an NHL lineup. Um, beyond that, though, you're spot on. I Jared Bednar clearly does not trust any of his options on his bottom pairing to play more than 10 minutes a night, really. Uh, it's just they're not getting enough minutes out of that pairing to seriously consider doing something. And the second pairing hasn't done enough for them to say, well... You're playing okay. Let's put you on the top line, top pairing with someone. There has to be a certain level of earned opportunity, right? And it's just hasn't been there for either EJ or Gerard. So it's hard to, to move things around right now. And I, I am curious. I don't have the answer here, obviously, but I, I do wonder how limited Jared Bednar feels without Byron and Manson, because we know he really does like to switch up and try things with his pairings very, very often with a full healthy lineup. He will throw out pretty much every conceivable version of their, his 6D given on the situation. So uh, I do wonder if that is is a pretty big hiccup in Bednar's systems, but hopefully one that comes to an end soon. Right. Uh, on that note, try to avoid any hiccups in your style game when you're out on the golf course. Get yourself some Pins and Aces merch, uh, the official golf apparel merchandiser of DNVR. You can go to pinsandaces.com today. Use code DNVR when you sign up. Well, when you check out, not sign up. And you get 15% off and free shipping on your order. Of course, they have hats, apparel like polos, pants. I'm pretty sure they have golf spikes. Did we agree they were called spikes for golf? I think that's what we agreed on last time. Uh, go in there, check it out, uh, get their beer koozies as well, their beer sleeve that goes right in your bag and carry seven beers onto the golf course with you. Super easy. It's a great way to have a round of golf with a few beers. Check them out, pinsandaces.com. And we're also brought to you by our new partner, Megan. What's your favorite kind of sunglasses? I think looking at the Excel sheet, DNVR as a whole really likes aviators. 
See, I expected this answer. I hate aviators. Oh, no. What kind of frame do you like? So as a kid, I really liked the, like, I don't know their names. I'm not, like, a big hip guy on sunglasses. I call, just call them, like, the bike racer ones that are just, like, open on the bottom. Oh. I don't think I know what that looks like. I bet if I saw a picture, I'd immediately recognize it. Yeah, for, like, road biking, all all the people in the Tour de France will wear sunglasses like these, basically. Uh I used to really like those, but nowadays, and, and what I'm getting from Shady Rays is just like the super gigantor, the biggest ones that I can find that aren't aviators because I need them and I want to look absolutely ridiculous like a wrestler from the 1980s. That's my are, goal. Are they kind? Do they have colored options like bright orange? If I'm thinking of the same kind. I didn't get the or I got the blue ones, but yeah. <laughs> Those are so I actually considered it too. They are really ridiculous, but they're also fun. I I think they're awesome and I, they're going to make me look really stupid and I'm going to love every second of it. I cannot wait. I promise they also have cool options if you want to look good in sunglasses too. You can check them out. Go over to shadyrays.com today. Get in on it. Get your sunglasses. They got a great deal going on right now. One if you break your sunglasses or decide you don't like them in the first 30 days, you can send them back and get either refunded or a new pair for completely free. So they got you completely covered with that. Uh, you got to check them out. Go over to Shady Rays. They have a location at the Park Meadows Mall. If you're local, of course, you can just go to ShadyRays.com too. Use code DNVR when you check out and get 50% off if you get two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. So get in there. Try yourself some Shady Rays. They're dope. Second period of the DNVR Avalanche podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. We've talked about the defensive side. Let's talk about the offensive side. It's no secret that uh, the Avs have not finished particularly well. They've gotten their 5-on-5 shooting percentage up to 6%. So it's not laughably bad it's just regular really bad now uh when you look at goals expected versus actual goals you see the abs are lagging pretty heavily behind i believe they're expected uh, about 79 goals at five on five and they've only produced 65 so yeah is it reasonable to expect the abs goal scoring clip to go up or are their forwards going to have to learn how to grind out games that are a bit more low scoring? It's really tough because everything I've known about last year's team, I would expect it to go up. I think that would be a reasonable expectation. But some of the criticism early on has been the depth forwards haven't had consistency because of injuries, and that could be one reason why. The scoring just hasn't been there. But at least through like the latter half of December on, a lot of these players have been able to play alongside the same people and they're still struggling to finish. And that's what's a little bit concerning is you'd like to see some of the depth players especially rise to the occasion and grind through it, like you said. But it's been a lot of the top stars and players that, that's the other thing, like at the start of this year, I was comfortable with the ads depth options if they were to play as depth options. But like that was looking at depth that was considered Cogliano, Comfer, OC, Darren Helm, maybe then, you know, like Evan Rodriguez, it wasn't clear if he would audition and make the second line or not, or if he would be more of a middle six option. But that was even someone in discussions as as depth. And then from there, it was like, OK, where does a Ben Myers fit in this equation? is Newhook a second line player or not? And if that was what the depth actually has, would have shaken out to be, I'd have every confidence that this gets better. But it just, it's been a mess. I don't know. Um, they have to though. They do have to grind through it um, because one of my disappointing moments from last night is this is a team that 
was struggling with a finishing problem, but was at least creating chances. And the margin or the window difference between shots last night was unacceptable. They just weren't creating the way that they need to. And that's where it becomes unacceptable to me. And I don't want to use just last night's game as a means to predict what they're capable of moving forward, but everybody needs to be creating chances. You cannot have nights where certain players just don't even register a shot on that. And that happened in last night's game and it happened a couple games back. And that's why I expect it to go up, but I'm putting a lot of blind faith in them at the moment because they haven't demonstrated that. It's it's a, a great example. And, and you can put the Chicago game in a box for a second, but you look across this stretch of January and compare it to that stretch of December where the Evs were injured, but we're still finding ways to win games. And the stretch in December certainly made you feel like the goals will come where they're playing games, where they're putting 40 plus shots on goal, somehow only getting one or at times even zero regulation goals out of those games. You're like, okay, this is ridiculous. The goals will come eventually. I still think there is a uptick to come in the Avs production, but you look at these games in January and some of them, there's good shot production in others you're seeing them struggle to get to even that 30 shot mark, certainly when the games are close or when they're not chasing late in the third period. And that's, that's more concerning to me. It's if the chances aren't there, it gets a lot harder for the goals to actually show up. And and that even includes, I, I think a lot of people like to overblow how many shots the abs actually miss. Well, does Tiff have something to say? Well, you're muted. Total accident. So, I I mean, (laughs) jump in if you got something to say. Jump in. Uh, You look too like a glowing presence from above. So, if you have any kernels of wisdom to make everyone feel better, I would trust you right now. I guess there's like. Like, there's a question in the comments that I guess I could kind of maybe ask you guys. What is, is there like any real, um, like potential that Landy was at this 20 minute meeting this morning or that any of the injured guys are ever really at these like team meetings to like kind of pump up the guys? Um, I think a lot of people are just really attributing this uh, dysfunction to a lack of uh, leadership. But I would assume that Kale and Mac and a couple of other guys are probably providing that leadership. Yeah, I I can't speak to Landy being there specifically for this meeting. I don't know. I'm not there. Jesse might know. But generally, yes, injured players are around the team all the time unless they're specifically away from the team getting treatment for something, they're at the practice facility, walking around, hanging out, even if they're not getting on the ice or not doing drills and stuff like that. They're there. They're certainly talking to the guys in some capacity. These They, don't, they didn't just disappear off the face of the earth. Uh, with that being said, there are differences between Landy being around the guys and Landy being involved in practices, involved in games and having leadership that way as well. I think Uh, it's a real call too, because Udo's right. The other players that have been injured have been around even on optional days. They're still around um, participating in these meetings, but I don't want to assign too much value to this either. But if Landeskog was up North with family I think he has been physically away from the team um, for some amount of time too, that I think that has contributed to why people haven't seen him around the arena, especially like in December, I know that was a thing. And so that would make it difficult for him to even be in those meetings if he was away. But I don't doubt that he's in communication with them, but I do think it makes a difference to have him there physically. Uh, So I'd be curious when Jesse has seen him around the arena last, or if he has still been up north as of late. Yeah. It, it, like, obviously the number one thing is, is the rehabilitation of the injury. So when it is things like that, whether it's time with family or seeing a specialist up there or whatever, the players are going to do what they need to do. But beyond that, when they are in town, 
they're going to the practice facility when the team practices. Um, Appreciate you guys. I'll let you get back on track. Sorry about that. No, that's <laughs> perfect. All right, pop in anytime. Uh, as, as some more news is coming out, uh, our usual nondescript injury report is Darren Helm will, quote, miss some time from Jared Bednar. So keep uh, keep that injury train rolling. You're joking. You know, he did have such limited shifts last night. I didn't even think much of it. I was like, ah, he he's kind of in the doghouse, huh? Because Ben Myers was kind of spot shifting in his place. I didn't even think of this. Yeah, oh. it, he didn't play a whole lot after that second goal where he got absolutely torched. But I thought it was that was why. Oh, well, that's maybe, rough. Maybe he got absolutely torched because he got hurt. <laughs> Math's adding up. <laughs> Unfortunate <sighs> that the injuries keep rolling for the Avs, uh, hitting their depth right now as it's now Malkin and Helm. Uh, both who have been injured recently, but we'll see. We'll see how all that turns out. Uh, I'm I'm still a believer as long as their big names don't get hurt, they're a playoff team, but different topic for a different day. For today's topics, I, I, I mean, we got to do it. We got to talk about the special teams. And I... I'm actually not that negative on them as, as the whole, right? The Avs, right now, today, if you went in, would have a penalty kill at 21st in the league, which isn't good, but you're not talking about unmitigated disaster terrible. And on the power play, sit at 13th. So a little bit above the halfway mark of the league. Now, the power play especially is the time of have and then the time of have not certainly since the beginning of January, it's been a very, very harsh regression back to the norm, but on the whole of the year, it's been reasonably solid. There's still massive problems with the second unit. I, I don't think those are avoidable until you get healthy, but the first unit, is there faith in the system as currently constructed, Megan, or does it need an overhaul? There's faith because as recently as November and October, it was the best in the league. You lose one of your key players, Nathan McKinnon, for a moment. In his return, it has not been effective yet, but because that is just the nature of special teams being streaky, I look to how they were able, within the confines of this season alone, have a really effective power play to the point that we were asking ourselves, would the Avs ever score 5v5 ever again? They just continue to only score on the power play. That I do have trust in this system. Like you mentioned, though, they don't have a second power play unit. They've got guys from the second unit ordinarily spot shifting up with the first. That could be some of the problem, too. Like, Donna Chushkin, because some of what I've noticed, too, is puck mismanagement and losing possession trying to cycle the puck on the power play. That is not something I expect to happen when Vanna Chushkin is on the top power play unit. So I hate pointing to health and players returning again to another reason why I think it gets better. But just as a whole, you look at the offensive weapons that are on that top power play unit alone. I do still think it is going to improve. It just needs a little bit of time. It's okay to be very disappointed in it right now also. So are we chalking up the one for their last 25 or whatever it is as entirely just streakiness full stop? Or are there specific things you would like to see it work on besides ah, get players back? I'm laughing because I was thinking about this earlier today. And I'm not sure what to say because individually, I think I would prescribe something different. Like... I like to see Nathan McKinnon show a little variance in his shot selection on the power play, shooting from the left circle alone. That one timer from the left circle has not always been very effective, but I've seen spots of brilliance when I see him vary from that just a little bit. Of course, too, I've, I've also appreciated 
Newhook on the second unit entries have looked good for me so far. Same with Nathan McKinnon entries on the first. Appreciate that. It's where I see players like Amiko Rantanen step outside of their ordinary that I actually think things don't work as well for him. So like my prescription for Miko Rantanen would actually to do what he does best and keep it a little simpler there. So for that reason, it's a little different player by player what I might recommend. Um, and then beyond that too, I think not a lot of tinkering I would recommend needs to be done. I just think they need some more reps in time. Sometimes simple hockey is best hockey. I I do believe that to a fault, right? Like I don't mind Nathan McKinnon getting creative with it, but I'm not sure I have that trust in other players right now. Yeah, it, definitely fair to say so. Uh, one more topic before we get to our next break here. Going into this season, the big question was who is going to be the Colorado Avalanche 2C? You are 40 games into it for Colorado. I think it's pretty clear Alex Newhook has not earned the job. So, in my mind, it's come down to do you trust Evan Rodriguez in that position? Or are you just going to plan on getting a 2C at the deadline? I... I really like Evan Rodriguez, but I don't even think they're utilizing him in that way now as like an audition to see how it might go. And I don't think JT Comfer is that solution either. I do think they're going to target a center at the deadline. Okay. So at best, nothing has been decided for the first half of the season. And at worst, they're going outside the organization for sure at this point. <laughs> Not that that's a bad thing, just that their internal options have not risen high enough to fill the position. I still think we see, too, I mean, it depends on how they look when they return to health, but I still think Evan Rodriguez has earned an elevated role. I just don't know that it is at center specifically. I think they keep him at wing. And it's it's tough with Erod even, right? Because, yes, he has played very well, but... He missed a bunch of games in the middle there, so you don't have as big of a sample size to say, oh, he's sustaining this or not. So it's just a tough spot for, for Colorado in that regard. I, I, we keep getting asked about this after every loss, so I'll, I'll bring it up. Uh, the expectation is they're not going to rush into making that move. Um, I would be surprised to see that happen before certainly would be crazy to see that happen before the all-star break and, and really before the deadline at all. So we'll I see. I think, how you know, historically too, it's not a team, especially recently that has made moves in a panic. I think the most panicked or impulsive thing that they did was signing Galchenyuk as quickly as they did. But even that was one very low risk move that didn't harm the organization in any way. Because this is a so much bigger acquisition, I still feel they are not going to accept any local offers, that they are going to have patience, and that is why I expect it to happen as close to the deadline um, as possible. I, We kind of lived through an era of the early years of Joe Sackick and Patrick Waugh, the organization where they did make a lot of those snap decisions with players. And a lot of them did not work out very well for them. Both trade deadline acquisitions and off season free agency signings. Names like Brad Stewart come to mind. Uh, guys like Mikel Bodker at the trade deadline, although Bodker did play very well for them, but they missed the playoffs. So bigger picture certainly seems like something the abs have learned from that era is to not rush into major acquisitions. Um, on that note, this isn't really a, a major acquisition, but if you're looking to get yourself some Breckenridge brewery, you can get it at your local liquor store, go to the breckbrew.com and find the Breck beer locator to find out at a liquor store near you anywhere in the United States. And they, they, 
some places in Canada, I'm getting I'm getting word from from the people starting to make its way into Canada here and there. So you can get it even up there. Of course, you can get it down at the DNVR bar too. Eight different kinds on tap. So come on down to the bar and have yourself some delicious beers. And I don't want to tell you the Avs are going to win games when you're at the bar, but at least you'll have some friends to drink with if they don't. So you've at least got that going for you. I'm a fan of the Amber Ale. There's literally dozens of flavors from Breck Brew. So they've got you covered no matter what you like. Uh, they're also, we're also brought to you by Green Mountain Dental Group. Megan, have you ever had major dental work? I've had my wisdom teeth removed. I guess that counts. Counts enough. So I not really, though. Cavity this year. I'm so embarrassed. Your first cavity this two. year. It was two at once. That's nothing. I know, but then I just I lived on this high for so long. Like I've never had a cavity. <laughs> so I I did get some cavities filled as well. All right. Well, don't be like Megan and get two cavities at once. Go to Green Mountain Dental Group instead. <laughs> Never mind that I've had literally dozens of cavities in my life, but we won't talk about that. Uh, Green Mountain Dental Group will also help you take care of your teeth at home when you get a cleaning, x-ray, and exam with them. You get a free Sonicare toothbrush so you can prevent cavities all by yourself at home taking care of your teeth. Uh, third period of the DNVR Avalanche podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. Before I keep peppering you with questions, is there any topic you specifically wanted to get into about the first half of the season with the Avs? I mean, it might be not the most worthy of topics, but I personally have been satisfied with goaltending. I know that there have been a good stretches point. of less good games, um, but you look at the gamble that Colorado took in net at the start of this season, and that has been among the least of my concerns. And I actually have a lot of hope for when this team is healthy, a Georgiev, Francois backstopping them in net, I do feel comfortable with as a solution. Yeah, it has experienced a little bit of the extremes like the rest of the team has. There have, had been that one stretch for Georgiev where it was a little bit rough for a while, but ultimately... Guy's got a 914 save percentage this year uh, with a 2.75 goals against average. Uh, his underlying numbers, the advanced statistics, still very, very good on high danger chances, and the low and medium danger chances are starting to move in the right direction. And ultimately, when you look at what he's doing this year compared to his career st statistics, he's more in line with his better years than he is with the, the last two poor years in New York. So... I, I think it's not that you can't ask for more out of him, but he's done a solid job. I think that's a good call out too about the previous years because he was trending in this direction of having worse years year after year after year that not only is he trending in a better direction, but it's his first season getting to assume the role of starting position, more increased responsibility than ever before. And there's a lot of different ways that could go, but this is one of the more positive outcomes. Yep. In my mind, he's he's squarely in control of the starter job, barring bad things happening. Bednar did confirm today that Landeskog has not been in Denver. So, so I think that, that's an interesting piece of information when you look at the stretch of games like December and January that have been poor for them have also been a period of time that he is physically away from the team. I don't want to, I don't necessarily want to enable the conversation in the chat about leadership, like for or against, but I do think having Landeskog physically around the team is a benefit. You obviously want to see him back on the ice too. Yeah, it, it, it definitely matters uh, to have a guy like that around the room, whether it's to get guys up or to calm guys down either way. It, it definitely makes a difference. I, again, I don't think it's as big of a difference as it would be if he was sitting there on the bench in the middle of a game, but those are two different scenarios. So don't have to rehash all that out again. 
Goaltending, I agree with you. Uh, you've gotten all that you want and need out of out of Frantzos and Georgiev for the most part. Just kind of need the guys in front of them to start playing a little bit better. Uh, all right. Halfway through the year. Uh, let me ask it to you this way. Can the Avs still win the West? In the wise words of Justin Bieber, I will never say never, but I still think that they can achieve a lot of success this season not winning the West, and I think that's more realistic. Um, like, I would never want to lowball expectations for them either, but that would be a very difficult feat. Doesn't mean that they can't still rise in the Western Conference standings and... and I think that this is a team too that's going to start getting in this back half of this going to start getting going in the back half of the season, get themselves back into a playoff spot. And that's where I'm really going to think we are going to see the heroics from this team is in the playoff arena. There's still a lot of work to get to that point, but that is sort of where I'm setting my expectation for now. So just for a little bit of context in the standings right now uh, for the top of the West, Dallas and Vegas separated by one point at the top. Both have played 43 games of the Avs, 40. So even if you say the Avs win all three games in hand, they would still be nine points back of Vegas for the lead of the West. And that's being awfully generous, just giving them six points, assuming they win all of their games in hand. That's a lot of ground to make up. You're talking about 15 points that the Avs have to make up at that point. It's pretty tough to see them winning the West. It's pretty tough to see them winning the Central Division. Even second place in the Central Division, I would say, might be tough. Winnipeg sitting on 55 points with 42 games played. Maybe not out of reach. Avs 12 points back if they win those games in hand. They're only eight points back. You're having that conversation, especially if the Avs get healthy. But realistic target right now is probably that third spot in the Central Division with Minnesota, who's currently seven points ahead of them, and the Avs have one game in hand. A five-point deficit? That you can make up pretty easily. And, you know, I if they make it into the playoffs in a wildcard spot too, whatever. Pretty comfortable with this team is going to be very good if they're healthy in the playoffs. They just need to get in. Yes. <laughs> Where is the concernometer out of 10 right now about the Avs missing the playoffs? Hmm. I'm nervous to assign a number to this. Um, and I don't want to be lame and say five, like just completely pick middle of the road. I, uh, so, I mean, I'll, I'll say six. Okay. So on the higher side slightly. It is on the higher side. Like even the injury reports from practice today, Darren Helm has hurt himself related to the pre-existing injury that he had been rehabilitating and Manson Byram, Nachushkin, not close to return. Landeskog's not in Denver. I still don't think that moves the needle completely, but it's not good news. It's not. It's definitely not good news. I don't think I could put myself over a five right now. I I think I'd probably even be at a four unless they completely just bomb out the second half of January. If they get to the all-star break as in striking range of teams... I, it's hard for me to really start being concerned before that. That's when the season really ramps up for Colorado. Um, I was talking about this in the Discord as well. The Avs have the seventh easiest schedule remaining in all of the NHL. They play a lot of winnable games. Now I get it. Everyone's coming off of a game that the Avs just lost to Chicago, so they might not feel very good about that. But... On any given night, any team can beat any team. 
And I certainly believe the Avs, even as currently constructed, are competitive with the middle of the pack and should be regularly beating teams in the bottom 10 of the NHL. I'm only laughing because that's one frustration from last night is the Avs did not play well, but they, in my opinion, were still a higher skilled team who was just making boneheaded mistakes. And it's so frustrating. That's why I still believe in the skill upside too with this team, but they have some things to do to prove themselves to us as well. So it, I like the call out you had about their identity and how what the identity has been before might need to be modified a little bit this season because they are a different team in ways and their circumstances are different from last season. And I think that's an interesting call out. I really like it. I do think that they're, I don't know the exact answer to what that new identity would be, but I do think that's an interesting call out and worth this Avalanche team evaluating. Well, a Stanley Cup champion gets the benefit of the doubt that they're going to prove who they are in the next season, right? And and we've given them that through pretty much the entire first half of the year. Again, I'm probably not saying it's really, really time to prove it until the All-Star break, but let's go. Let's start seeing the Avs prove who they are and what they're capable of. That's pretty much everything I want to cover. Looks like we have one super chat to get to. If Tiff is around. I think it's for you, Rudo. Is Did it you for see me? it? I didn't. Ah, it's Micah saying Rudo on ice level. Love it. Uh, yeah, definitely in, in some arena somewhere. I don't even know where this is. I don't know. This is just some some raw footage I got off of the internet. So definitely at this building doing this with perfect sound quality for sure. Thank you for the $10, Micah. Much appreciated. Megan, any any final thoughts on the show before we get out of here? No, I think that covers it. I hope everyone listening is doing well. I know this is a tough point in the season to be at, but I think we can all agree we've seen a lot worse too. Uh, seen a a lot worse not that long ago either seven eight years ago is all you have to go back and uh i did i i did talk about that today too technically if the avs can find a way to win two or less games only they can still have less than 48 points this year it's still possible why is your brain this way? Why would you why would you do this to us? <laughs> because that would never ever ever happen. So true. Very true. The Avs could ice the Colorado Eagles for the rest of the season and even they would get at least 3 wins. I think that's true, especially if Charles Houdon is playing. I'm kidding. Oh my god. Oh my god. Where's the couch? You got a Houdon <laughs> couch in that house? I think so. Everyone should have one. <laughs> We're going to get out of here for the day. We appreciate all y'all hanging out with us. We got game tomorrow where we'll have you fully covered. You know the drill, pregame, watch along, and postgame. Uh, and then next week, lots of games. Four games next week. We will have an off-day show where we will likely look around the rest of the league and their halfway point. So be sure to tune in next week as well. Like and subscribe here on YouTube. We love you, and we will talk to you on the next one.